Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Thursday, everybody, and welcome to episode 41 of the Snyder Cut. I am Collider.com's senior film reporter, Jeff Snyder, and I'm wearing this ugly, ugly shirt because I want your feedback. That's what we're going to start with at the top of the show. My dad, this is my dad's shirt, and he gives it to me, and I'm like, this looks like a bunch of like ketchup and mustard bottles hanging out on a shirt together or something. It's hideous. And he was like, no, 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 this is a really nice, expensive shirt. I should wear it around. I was like, I'm going to ask the Snyder Cut fans about this. So hit the comments section below and let me know if this is the most hideous shirt you've seen in a long time or if I should stick with it. Um, where are we going to start this week? Where should we start? Uh, let's start with Star Wars The Bad Batch animated series, guys. This is the new – I'm kidding. Bad Batch, I don't give a shit. Animated Star Wars, I don't care. Goodbye. Next. We're going to start with the Tolja. We're going to start with the Tolja about John Hamm being Fletch. Boom. What did I say? That was the rumor of the week in episode 37. I don't know if I have a rumor of the week for you this week, but uh, I'll I'll think on it. I'll think on it. Um, So, yeah, John Hamm going to be stepping into the big shoes left by Chevy Chase. I mean, I don't know. The first Fletch is is, is a classic. I'm a big fan of Fletch, and I wasn't even of that era. It was a movie that was shown to me you know, by camp counselors and stuff like that. But the guys were, you know, maybe five years older than me. The Fletch sequel, I don't think, is something that is uh, remembered terribly well. Um, so it's not that it is, you know, sacred ground. You can't, it's not that you can't remake or reboot Fletch. I think John Hamm is actually the right guy for the job. He's, um, he's, he's funny. Even though I got screwed on this announcement and didn't appreciate how it went down, Miramax, uh, I, I think John Hamm is the right guy for this. He has a certain, I don't know, comic sensibility to him. There's a certain, even though he has like the classic, you know, uh, leading man looks, there's a certain uh, goofiness to him. Um, and and yet there's like this, he's got this suave charm, but he's, he's not afraid to like look like the, the dumb guy or something like that. Not that Fletch is a dumb character or anything. I don't really know what I'm trying to say about John Hammer. I'm just saying I like it. Particularly under the direction of Greg Matola, the uh, director of Adventureland and Superbad. Um, he is an interesting choice for this as well. I mean, John Hamm, he has to do right by this. He has to know, you know, he has to know this character as well as anyone. He says that Fletcher's the movie that he's seen more than any other. That was a fact that I, I brought up. Uh, I thought that was interesting that he said in, the, in, in an interview in Esquire in 2014. It's like, it's, it's so interesting if you pay attention to little things like that and then see how they come to fruition, you know, years down the line or whatever. Um, we have some breaking news just now coming into the podcast. This is an announcement going right to my inbox, straight from Netflix. Richard Linklater, he was doing that, um, he was developing that Apollo movie where it was like about, you know, the Ap- Apollo 11, but from the point of view from, you know, of like a young kid. So it is now in an, an animated movie. It's called Apollo 10 and a Half, A Space Age Adventure. And it's set against the backdrop of the 1969 Apollo mission to the moon, which celebrates its 51st anniversary today, as a matter of fact. The new film is inspired by Linklater's childhood in Houston, Texas. 
the okay so so it's the live action shoot wrapped in March 2020 in Austin. And so it, I, it's a hybrid. That's interesting. Okay, I didn't read this uh, clearly. Richard Linklater directs Milo Coy. Okay, Milo Coy is the little boy in it. Um, Jack Black, Zachary Levi, Glenn Powell. Ooh, Glenn Powell. He was in Everybody Wants Him. I dig this. I dig this a lot. Sam Chipman, my counselor. I had a counselor named Sam Chipman. I doubt it's the same guy. Anyways, this is an, an interesting thing um, from Netflix. And I like that, that, you know, that they're allowing filmmakers like Linklater to get these kinds of passion projects made. I didn't realize that this was going to be a hybrid between live action and, and uh, hand-drawn animation or whatever. That makes it even more special, you know? It's like whatever I couldn't finish, maybe, um, in terms of a live action shoot, I don't know if it was always designed like that because I don't, I don't know if it was or if this is like a the pandemic has forced us to adapt to the circumstances kind of thing. But either way, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, let me uh, cue back up the list here. All right. Stephen King. There was a bunch of Stephen King stuff this week. There was, let me see, there was Rat. Right, okay. So he, ha he has this new like collection. It's called, uh, I believe it's called if it bleeds. And so Ben Stiller, Darren Aronofsky, and Ryan Murphy all optioned different things this week, which I thought was pretty, I mean, that, like, that's a lot. Like the last time I guess that this had happened was, you know, one of Stephen King's old anthologies from the 80s, you know, which, which came out of it, uh, Stand By Me and The Shawshank Redemption. Anyways, this time around, Ben Stiller is doing Rat. He's going to produce and direct and star in it. And it's about this frustrated writer, Drew Larson, who makes a Faustian bargain with a rat to alleviate his writer's block, trading professional success for the life of a loved one. I don't know if he's going to have to personally kill this person, uh, this loved one, or if the, the rats are going to do it. I don't know. I always wanted to actually do a movie myself called Rats. It had nothing to do with rats. It was just, that was the nickname for this guy. Uh, and it was one of the scariest, like, campfire stories I'd ever heard. Um, I really should pick up, you know, it's, it's sorry, the, the Stephen King collection is called If It Bleeds. Let It Bleed is one of the stories in it. That's with uh, Holly, the character who's on The Insider, played by Cynthia Revo. Um, that story has not yet been an option. I guess it's in the process, but, you know, I don't know if HBO is proceeding with a second season of The Outsider. They certainly set that up. You know, if you stayed uh, to uh, if you stay tuned through the credits of The Outsider, that final episode, there's like a mid credit scene and a post credit scene, I think. Um, with Cynthia Erivo. So I don't know if they have further plans for that character or if they're going to, you know, let Stephen King or someone else, you know, bring another version of that character to life. Um, the Darren Aronofsky one was also, uh, also interesting. That is about um, this, this middle-aged guy, Charles Krantz, whose life is segmented into several supernatural chapter breaks. Now, right now, Darren Aronofsky is just producing yeah, I don't think he's actually chosen what he's going to direct next. Um, Darren Aronofsky, he hasn't, you know, Mother was a big, I mean, uh, it's, it's tough. Like, Mother, I thought was horrible. But I also thought Inherent Vice was horrible. And Aronofsky and PTA Fincher, those are the kinds of guys who I grew up worshiping. Like, I grew up thinking Aronofsky he could do no wrong. And he's still one of my favorite filmmakers. He's also, he's making movies. Like, you know, I like Noah. I thought Noah was good. 
but it's not the kind of thing that I really want to see Darren Aronofsky make. I want to see more of those Requiem for a Dreams and Black Swans and, and even The Fountains. Like, you know, The Fountains amazing. I think Matt Goldberg put it number one on his uh, best of Darren Aronofsky list. And by the way, the Collider list have been on fire this week. They, they, we ranked like the Marvel supervillains, the X-Men uh, movies. There's been a whole bunch of fun lists. So check out, make sure you check those out. But anyways, that third Stephen King one, Remember that there were four stories. One hasn't been optioned yet. One from Aronofsky, one from Ben Stiller. The third one is from Ryan Murphy. And he's teaming with Blumhouse on this and Netflix. John Lee Hancock is going to be writing and directing. He did that, uh, you know, what, what the hell was it called? With, uh, Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson. The, the Highwaymen. Right, right, right. That was like one of Netflix's early successful original movies or whatever. So they're already in bids. Uh, they've been in business with John Lee Hancock. Now he's doing this one. It's about a young boy who befriends an older billionaire who lives in his small town, Maine neighborhood. And they bond over this old guy's first iPhone. You know, I don't know who gets him the iPhone. Or I think that the boy like saves up from some job that he has. And he buys this old man an iPhone because that, uh, you know, the old man's been so generous to him. And then the man dies. And the boy, uh, you know, sticks the phone in the man's pocket as he's buried. And, you know, he's like, I'm, I'm going to send you messages. You know, so the boy texts the man, even though, you know, the guy's dead. And then he gets a text back. That's a great premise. It's called Mr. Harrigan's Phone. I don't know who you cast as this old guy, but I'll tell you who I'd love to see and who's kind of hot right now is Brian Cox from Succession. He would be pretty interesting in one of these, uh, you know, Netflix Blumhouse movies. I could definitely see that. Um, all right. So we covered John Hammes Fletch and Stephen King. There's a Batman TV series in the works that, that is going to be set alongside the Batman movie. I think that is kind of fascinating. Um, this is, this is, I think it's going to be set before the events in the Batman. It's basically going to be, say, like, how Gotham came to be this crime-ridden, crime-infested uh, city where criminals just flock to. Um, and about like, you know, how the police department, you know, came, came to be, or, you know, some pivotal time in the, in the police department's history. Uh, it sounds kind of cool to me. I, I'd rather, I wish the movie had come out and we could have seen what he had in mind before, you know, that they actually decided to go forward on this, but I get it these days, you know, uh, you, you got to do what you got to do in universe building and you want to be able to shift between the mediums. Um, I think that uh, Dark Tower had tried to had planned to do something like this, and it just proved to be a little bit too ambitious, particularly for that property, um, which was you know ended up being doomed at the box office. The Batman, I don't think, will will suffer such a fate. Um, and yeah, I, so again, it's uh, I, I do wonder, like, is Jeffrey Wright going to be involved in this? He's playing Commissioner Gordon uh, or Jim Gordon. I don't even know if he's the commissioner or not, but. Um, Jeffrey Wright, obviously busy. He, he's on Westworld. You know, same same studio, same, you know, large corporate conglomerate or whatever. So that, that would be uh, interesting. I'm, uh, I hope that Jeffrey Wright winds up because he's a great actor. Uh, Apple went on a little bit of a spending spree this week. They picked up a couple of high-profile projects. They picked up Jake Gyllenhaal's movie, Snowblind, and they picked up Justin Timberlake's drama, Palmer, this is like a guy who gets out of prison and then he goes back to his hometown to get his life together and finds himself in charge of this young boy because his, his you know, mother has just you know, abandoned him or whatever. And then uh, Snowblind, I forget what that one's about, but um, you know, it's, it's one of these, short, it's like it's a graphic novel adaptation. 
it's it's a thriller sort of like prisoners um oh i think i remember what this one it's like uh, involves the witness protection program it, it was like that R river phoenix movie i still need to see that uh but yeah you can head over to collider read more about it i don't have all these articles in front of me it's hard to memorize what all these projects are about guys um, one project i know i won't forget about that was announced this week and by the way so so before I, I get into this, that next story, let's back it up for, for Apple. You know, they, they've got DiCaprio, Will Smith, Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, now Justin Timberlake. They bought the Tom Hanks movie Greyhound, which proved to be a hit for them uh, this past weekend. Like, they're just getting in business with all these big stars, and, and, and that's sort of the formula over there. Um, I don't know. You know, like, you know what an A24 movie is? I don't know what Apple's brand will effectively be. Um, again, I don't know if they're going to be, they're producing a lot of movies in house. Don't get me wrong. Like a lot of these movies will be, but like Palmer's and uh, you know, that, that's a finished film. That's an indie that they've acquired. Um, I'd like to see them picking up more female fronted stuff. Obviously they have the Sofia Coppola movie on the rocks. They did Hala. They, they have this Julianne Moore movie sharper, uh, that they're developing with A24, but you know, like where I'd, I'd, I'd like to see a, 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 like a, you know, Apple has talked a big game and it's commitment to diversity and that kind of stuff. They're, they're just picking up a lot of projects with uh, big name white guys right now. And, you know, again, from a business perspective, I, I can't fault them for that, but you would think that they would make an effort to, uh, make a move like remember charm city kings the way i think hbo max picked that up from sony i think that's who had bought it out of the festival but you know more more moves like that netflix is doing a lot of that stuff and and you know i think it shows in their subscriber numbers uh anyways we will move on to universal and mattel team with peter Farrelly on a wishbone movie i didn't know i don't think i really watched wishbone uh as a kid you know, I put it out there to the Collider crew this week, and they were like, oh, my God, I love Wishbone. And, and so I looked up on it, and it was adorable. It was like this dog playing the series of, like, famous liter literary characters, Ivanhoe, Odysseus, whatever the hell it is. Um, and, yeah, it's just like putting this dog in, in these, you know, highbrow scenarios. It was cute. It, it's a, it, at least there's a hook to it. You know, all these, all these freaking dog movies that they're making these days, they all kind of sound the same. This one at least sounds a little bit different, and, and it is based on something of a beloved IP from what I could gather. Uh, I don't know. It fits in with, with Mattel's strategy. If you looked at that list of projects in that uh, article that Mattel is developing, I mean, it, it is very youth-skewing. Uh, and, you know, you can't blame them for that. Kids need to be entertained and watch stuff, too, just like adults. Um, we got a, uh, some some interesting uh, director announcements this week. Josh Cooley making Little Monsters, Max Minghella doing Shell for HBO Max. Those were stories to keep an eye on. But the big one, I think, was um, Gina Prince-Bythewood doing uh, um, The Woman King. The Woman King with Viola Davis. Uh, you know, that's like the mother-daughter African warrior movie that like that, that could be a big deal for Sony if done right. And, you know, Gina, Gina has done an amazing job, like with every opportunity she's been given from beyond the lights to the old guard. I haven't finished watching the old guard myself. It's not because I didn't like it or was bored. Um, I, it was just not the right night. And so I wanted to give it the full attention it deserved. 
So I need to go back and finish that this weekend. Like I, I am, I am on the case, but you know, she, she has, she, she's really solid. And, and so it's great to see her being given something of a budget and, and two really talented uh, stars. I think Lupita, I don't know, she's still attached to this. I, I forget um, reading that article, but uh, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a smart move for her, a smart play by Sony to bring her in. I think you needed uh, a, you know, a black female filmmaker on that project and, I wish everybody the best of luck over there. Um, I read an interesting quote this week from Elizabeth Debicki, and, and she was taught, or, you know, just all these articles about how Christopher Nolan ran uh, Tenet like an indie set. Like, guys, I love quotes like these. I love them. Who would run this story? I, it's just so ridiculous. How could Tenet, this 200 or 180 million, let's say, say minimum movie, how could this... Like, how could it be run like an indie set? I, I just, I, I refuse to believe things like this. It's not because I don't like Christopher Nolan. I like Christopher Nolan absolutely fine. You know, I, I think somebody emailed me uh, or, or DM me, and it was like there's this perception that I don't like Christopher Nolan. That's not true. I, I think Christopher Nolan is really, really good. Do I think that, you know, do, do I love his movies? No, I think that they're like puzzles. Um, and, and once you solve the puzzle, it's not as effective on rewatch. So, and that's why I think his Batman movies are the best movies that he's done. Um, not to take anything away from Memento or Inception or a lot of the great, you know, even Dunkirk movies that Christopher Nolan has made. But The Dark Knight is is always going to be my favorite. And that's because it is, to me, the most rewatchable but yeah, when when someone's saying when, you know when you're, you're given all the tools and, and a gigantic crew and and the top name cast running it like an indie set, what does that like mean? Like I'd like a follow up question from that on that the next time, a little bit of a elaboration because I just don't see how it's possible to run a set like that like an indie set. And is that like some sort of great like I don't know compliment? Like <laughs> I just I don't even. I don't get it these days from the, the junket circuit and, and the press circuit and, and just interviews in general, man. Like, I don't know. I also just don't understand saying yes to every interview and, and the amount of access that, that stars give people. Like there's almost like no mystery anymore. I don't know. It's just, I hear from too many people too often. You know what I mean? Like that's why, again, I stick to the up and comers or the character actors. Like I just don't, I don't know. I don't need to hear from everybody about everything. Um, but maybe that's because I have more insight into the process than most. Like, you know, maybe that's my privilege as a you know reporter privilege speaking. You know, if I was just somebody reading Entertainment Weekly, you know, that, that kind of stuff probably goes a long way. And so I, I see the need for it. Um, here's what I don't see a need for. I mean, it, it's fun to think about and discuss. And obviously it's like basically what I do. But the, the stories about, like, Almost Famous and, like, Brad Pitt, Natalie Portman, Meryl Streep were going to play, uh, you know, Billy Crudup, Kate Hudson, Francis McDormand. Like, I don't want to know these things. I want in my head to think that Cameron Crowe just knew, like, Billy Crudup's a great actor. He was real hot back then. He had a great look to him. Like, yeah, that's my Russell Hammond. Kate Hudson, that's my Penny Lane. Um, I don't want to know that these people were second choices. And I don't think that they really want to know, even if they do probably know, and, and they understand 
why Brad Pitt and Natalie Portman and Meryl Streep get those offers first. Like that's just making a movie 101. And, and that's the sort of stuff that people maybe didn't understand last week with like, you know, the Halle Berry trans project. Like that is just where things start. They start at the top of the mountain. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I don't want to know these kinds of things, you know, like do I, do I wish I didn't know that Cameron Crowe actually wanted Natalie Portman to play Penny Lane? Yeah. You know, Kate Hudson is just, she's perfect. I think, did she get an Oscar nomination for that? I think she did. Um, I don't know. I gotta, I gotta look that one up. Where's Ben Bateman when you need him? Uh, Hugh Jackman's ass. Never thought I'd be doing a news story about that. Hugh Jackman's ass has passed the evil censors at Disney+. Plus. Who would have thought that they would allow these, these glorious butt cheeks through the system? Um, I guess... <laughs> Whatever, dude. <laughs> it's just like Hugh Jackman. How can you not let his ass pass, right? I mean, that's the whole point that you watch that movie. It's the whole reason. Uh, Hulu was boasting this week of, of its setting records with Palm Springs. What again? What does this mean? What what kind of viewership are, are we talking here? What is the percentage of Hulu viewers? Like, obviously, Hulu is not going to have the same number of raw viewers as a Netflix hit, and so in that you know, purview and, and, or in that context, whatever, like it is Palm Springs a hit if only 20 million people watch it and 20 million, maybe that's, I don't know how many people have Hulu. Let's say it's, let's just say it's probably way off. Let's say it's 40 million. So it is, is half of our, you know, subscribers watching Palm Springs as good as just like, you know, a quarter of Netflix subscribers watching fucking Spencer Confidential. I don't fucking know. I think even more people watch Spencer Confidential, which is <laughs> d- depressing. Um, but anyways, Palm Springs, I didn't love it. I liked it. I, I don't love time loop movies. And by now, I think we all know it's a time loop movie. And I, I didn't really understand hiding that fact. Like, I get it at a festival. Um, but, like, how do you market this movie without embracing the time loop stuff or, or trying to keep that secret? just uh it was always a weird thing and and like by the way is is neon's name on that like because it was a neon and hulu acquisition i don't know if neon's name is on that i don't know if hulu bought them out entirely i mean you know if 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 neon was always gonna i'm gonna do theatrical hulu you're gonna do the the home release the streaming release and then there is no theatrical is neon like well what are we paying for why do we need to be um yeah it just doesn't make sense for their model uh, there was some interesting TV stuff this week. Dick Wolf is doing this epic uh, Vegas series with a couple guys from uh, the Pacific. I never watched Pacific, but I watched Band of Brothers. Or maybe I started the Pacific and I was just like, well, this is no Band of Brothers. And I stopped. Um, but I, I'm fascinated by Vegas stuff. The, the, the way that the series, uh, that the city, you know, was, was built. There's a couple of different, different like, uh, storylines in this one. And yeah, I like that sort of ensemble. It's going to be a diverse ensemble too. It's not just going to be a bunch of, you know, white, you know, the mafia moving in and, and, and doing Vegas like we saw in Casino, which I love Casino. You know, there are days when I think Casino is better than Goodfellas. And then there are days when I'm like, what do you, what do you think, Jeff? But uh, I, I love that kind of stuff. And I like the idea of Dick Wolf 
moving into more prestigious stuff because, you know, I, I watch SVU every week. I've never missed an episode in like 22 seasons or whatever the fuck it is. But uh, Chicago, I can't watch all these like broadcasts. It's all, most of it's crap, you know? Um, I'll do respect. <laughs> I know that uh, those really bring in the ratings. But yeah, I, I like the idea of Dick Wolf moving into um, the, the American crime story type of territory, a little bit of prestige. Meanwhile, Adam Sandler and Kevin Garnett, the Uncut Gems, do are reteaming on the series Low Lifes, which is about two rival uh, shoplifting crews from Brooklyn who, who joined forces in like the late '80s, and they just, you know, were they, they stole a lot of designer brands and sort of were responsible for the proliferation of, of designer like streetwear and, and, and street culture, that uh, that kind of stuff. Sounds kind of fascinating. I mean, I love that Garnett had, you know, probably had this idea. Um, you know, I think he, he kind of played for Brooklyn, didn't he? No, I don't fucking know any man. I mean, my brain is just mush today. But, uh, you know, the, the, this Brooklyn set story, I'm surprised he didn't go to the Safties kind of. But going to Adam Sandler being like, hey, Adam, you know, can, can you help me, you know, get, get this project off the ground? Because KG is not someone who has done as much stuff as, as other people. Uh, other NBA veterans, other, you know, athletes. He hasn't been as involved in the producing side of, of Hollywood uh, as others. But so, so I like him like asserting himself and, and you know, relying on his old uh, Uncut Gems buddy. Um, the Adventures, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina got canceled. That's another show. Hey, I, I don't watch it, but I know it has a huge fan base and people were legitimately surprised and kind of shocked about this one. Uh, Henry Golding signed on to this Paramount animated movie, The Tiger's Apprentice, based on some popular children's thing, uh, children's book. That didn't again. There are movie you have to make children's movies like this. That they're programmers. They always make a certain amount of money because you know parents got to get kids out of the house. I just wonder, are parents really going to be taking kids? You know, I mean, kids are just notoriously sick. They're touching and licking everything. I have a niece. Anything you hand her, she's putting in her mouth. Um, it's like, are, are parents really going to be in a rush to to bring children back to theaters? Um, and in that in in that event, where you know, if they only go a few times a year, they're going to be going to the high profile Minions movies and you know Pixar movies and this stuff like this, the alternative stuff. Which fuck at this point, Paramount is really just producing for Netflix. I mean, the pa Paramount has just been selling itself off piece by piece by piece. If you haven't noticed over the last few weeks, they just got rid of uh, SpongeBob SquarePants international rights to uh, to Netflix. Um, so it's like either you either make this movie for Netflix or you release it, and it, it does like a quarter of the business as, as you know some of these gigantic animated tentpoles. I just don't know if kids are going to be returning to theaters like that. Man, there was a bunch of stuff this week. God, how much is left? Oof, let me take a look here. Michael Douse is directing a, a, a you know a video game adaptation, Just Cause. This is a video game I, I never played. Uh, Michael Douse, I, I think he's better. Like he, the last couple of movies have been like these action comedies, Stuber, Coffee, and Kareem. I, I like them both just fine. You know that they, they were enjoyable enough quick 80 90 minute movies or whatever but like i think he needs to like go one way or the other so it sounds like he's going the action way and i kind of hoped he would have gone the comedy way I, I think that that is sort of where his strength lies i don't know if he is this sort of action guy 
So again, just cause is a video game that means really nothing to me. We'll see if, if he, you know, he's going to have a bigger budget, you know, like Stuber, Coffee and Cream, he does not ha- did not have huge action budgets to pull off the kind of stunts that he wanted. I imagine Just Cause will cost more than probably both of those movies combined. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see what Douse is capable of with a budget like that. I just think that he's probably better off making, making studio comedies and indie comedies and stuff like that. Um, speaking of video games, I did want to mention that I, I don't know if I mentioned it last week. I got this like crazy video game system that has almost every video game ever created from PlayStation on down. It was one of these like hacked modified, you know, chips. I had to order it from a buddy who knew a guy in London who's making these things. Um, it's incredible. I mean, it doesn't have GoldenEye, which I'm pissed about, but... I don't know. There's a lot to like. I've been playing a lot of Super Mario Kart, some NFL Blitz, a lot of NBA Jam. I'm a sports game guy, but, you know, my friends are playing Tiger Woods Golf and fucking uh, Final Fantasy VII. I I wasn't as into that kind of stuff, but wow. It it, it is something special, you know. Look look into those opportunities, Uh, or don't, because it may be illegal having that kind of stuff sent over here. I don't even know. Who knows? Um, speaking of which, I'll interrupt the news to give some recommendations because I read some incredible books this week. Uh, I read two books with American in the title, American Predator and American Kingpin. Um, American Predator is about the Alaskan serial killer, Israel Keeves. And it was, it was really interesting. I don't think that the book was a true crime classic, like a Helter Skelter or The Stranger Beside Me or something like that. Um, but the subject was so interesting that it it kept me, you know, turning the pages pretty quickly. This guy was someone who like set up kill kits all around America. Like he buried them in remote areas that he wouldn't have to like have his kit on him. Um, and he could just, you know, uh, surprise people uh, there or bring them there and, and do his thing. There was this one story it was fascinating. It was like, you know, he, he chopped up this, this person, put him in a fishing hole and the FBI, when they caught him, had to send in its top diving team uh, and retrieve these body parts. And so, you know, then they get background about the top FBI divers. One of whom worked on the like TWA 800 crash and sent me on this rabbit hole of like crazy, uh, like plane crash stuff and, and planes running into each other on the runway and just like all, all those sort of major things. Then, you know, there's an element of, you know, serial killers. Is it nature? Is it nurture? Are they born or are they created? And there was the story of this nine-year-old boy who, who pushed a three-year-old kid into the pool and watched him drown. Uh, and, and, you know, he, like, he was ruled a nine-year-old psychopath, basically. And institutions who re- rehabilitate children like that basically felt like he wasn't even, couldn't even re- rehabilitate this kid. Um, it was just a, fa- it was a really a, a fascinating book. And yet, it was the second best book that I read this week because American Kingpin, I devoured in about 24 hours. It's from Nick Bilton, who writes for Vanity Fair. It was one of the best books I've ever read, guys. If you are looking for something to read, American Kingpin is all about Ross Ulbricht, the kid who started uh, The Silk Road, which is where you could buy, it was the Amazon of drugs. You could buy any kind of drug that you wanted. Uh, You could hire hitmen. You could buy organs, livers, kidneys. I mean, anything that you wanted was at your fingertips. What an incredible book. The way that it's told is just, I couldn't stop. I literally got this book on 
you know, one day and, and it was done by the end of the next day. Um, and I'm a busy fucking guy. So that is how good it is. American Kingpin, American Predator. Pick those up if you can. All right. <clears throat> Back to the news. Michael Che doing a, a new sketch comedy series. I think this one's for HBO Max. Surprising, you know, because this is a universal talent. Although from what I gather, Peacock, it seems like it's going to be making kind of PG-13 on down stuff. Like I haven't really seen anything that's R-rated from them. Then again, are any, like is Quibi making R-rated stuff? Is The Fugitive going to be R? The Stranger didn't feel like it was R. It felt like it was PG-13. Same with like Free free Rayshon and stuff like that. So like I I wonder, are these – lower level streamers looking to appeal to adults or is it more like all audience? Like I'm, I don't, I just, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, and I don't know what Michael Che has in mind with this HBO max project. If this is going to be something that is, you know, like every other or most other sketch shows, even if it's like he and peel SNL, you know, um, or is it going to be R rated? I mean, Michael Che is, is, can be a controversial guy, particularly on social media. <clears throat> that That's why I love him. Um, yeah, I, I like the idea of Che getting his own thing. I think it doesn't bode well for his tenure at SNL. I mean, it, how do you go and do another sketch series, like a rival sketch series, and, and stay on that show? It seems like something he'll develop. He'll probably stay through the election along with Colin Jost. Uh, Jost Colin Jost. Um, they'll, they'll probably stay on through the election, and then, you know, maybe top, top of next year sign off and hand uh, weekend update over to somebody else and, and then uh, Michael J will be able to go focus on this other show. I'd love to see him have my bu- my buddy Jared Freed on. Uh, I know him and Michael Che are, are tight and uh, yeah, if he needs a, lo- a loud white guy, Jared Freed is your guy, Michael Che. Hit him up. Um, oh, right. Other TV news. HBO. H- uh, scenes from a marriage. Oscar Isaac and Michelle Williams. This is a, a remake of, of Ingmar Bergman's 19... 19- 73 Swedish miniseries. It was like six episodes, um, you know, part of the Criterion Collection, considered a classic these days. Michelle Williams has kind of done this before, right? This is like Blue Valentine, the show. Um, it's all about, you know, couples' marit- marital ups and downs and, and discord and, and love and hate, marriage, passion, and divorce, fucking. And I mean, <laughs> Michelle Williams is four-time Oscar nominee, I think. Oscar Isaac is an, an incredible actor. Uh, and the, the two of them together, like, I'm pumped. Like, I mean, her and Ryan Gosling was great, and that was its own thing. And, that, and you know, it's interesting, because that's Derek Sion France, who just did an HBO series. Like, I wonder if he's like, HBO, like, you know, I, you're kind of stepping on my toes. But, you know, may, maybe he was inspired by scenes from a marriage himself. I'm sure he was. So... Oscar Isaac and Michelle Williams is a huge fucking get for HBO. I mean, they had Oscar doing uh, Show Me a Hero, which I, I don't think I ever finished. I think I watched the first couple of that and, and never went back. But um, I, I owe it to Oscar to, to finish that show because I, I know he got, I think he got a Golden Globe nomination for that one. Scenes from a Marriage. To think that this all started, though, that, that Michelle Williams' career started playing Jen Lindley on fucking Dawson's Creek, like... You know, if you had told me, if I looked at the four members of that cast and you'd said, which one is going to be like a four-time Oscar nominee and, and, and a gigantic star, like, I don't know that I would have guessed Michelle Williams, but here we are. 
And by the way, I thought this was funny. So scenes from a marriage is being done by uh, Haggai Levy, who did The Affair, which starred Joshua Jackson, who played Pacey Witter on Dawson's Creek. Maybe this guy was just a huge Dawson's Creek fan like me. Mr. Levy, give me a call. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about our favorite scenes. Um, right before I started taping this podcast, Neon released the trailer for Possessor, starring Andrea Riseborough, Christopher Abbott, Sean B., Jennifer Jason Lee, Tappets Middleton, or Steve Sutherland. Uh, this is from writer-director Brandon Cronenberg, the son of David Cronenberg, and body horror is running in the family. Um, I didn't really care for Brandon Cronenberg's first movie, Antiviral, I believe it was. It's, it was a fascinating premise, don't get me wrong. I just don't know that it really added up to all that much for me. Uh, Caleb Landry Jones was, was good in it, though, because he always is good, just as he is in The Outpost, something again for Caleb Landry Jones, The Outpost. Um, but yeah, so this new Cronenberg movie is wild. It's about someone who can, like, she's like an assassin who can take control of other people to commit, you know, her, her to, to kill people on her behalf, basically. But then she gets stuck in this one mind that's just, like, too fucked up even for her. Um, I've heard this movie is wild. I've heard it's fucking batshit insane. Super violent, very, very graphic, and almost assured of an NC-17, uh, or it would just have to go out unrated. I mean, that, that was the plan when this thing was going to hit theaters. Is that still the case? It doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem like we're headed, you know, uh, otherwise, why wouldn't have Hall- Halloween Kills stuck to its October guns? I mean, I think... I know it depends on the studio and, and what kind of financial position they're in right now, but... Um, this feels like a VOD play to me. And so in that case, you know, why make any cuts? Like you just have to release this totally uncut. Um, and I hope, I hope that's what they do because it, it would be a shame to edit this down to an R from what I understand. There's just some fucking gnarly kills in this thing. And that's what I want to see. That's what most people, you know, who would watch a movie like possessor to begin with want to see. Um, Meanwhile, we don't know when it's coming out. There was no release date information on the trailer or in the press release. They said additional details would be forthcoming. I would, I would kill, I would kill for a screener of this right now. I'd watch it right fucking now. Um, mm, pumped for Possessor. Like that movie is maybe one of my most anticipated films for the rest of the year. All right, going down the list. Telluride. Telluride got canceled this week, and you know what? They had to do it. Had to do it. Had to be done. I mean. I get that you're in a small town. It's not a big city like Toronto, um, not in Venice. So things could be a little bit more contained and, and, and intimate, but I don't know if that's like a good thing or a bad thing. Like, I, this was like, an, I know the, the, like the organizers specifically, specifically went out of their way to say this was not an inevitability, but you know, I think that the writing was on the wall as soon as you know the, the school board like took away some of the biggest venues. They're just like, yeah, we don't need all these people from LA coming up here and, and getting their COVID nineteen germs on everything. Um, God, we, I mean, look at the numbers in Los Angeles. Look at how stubborn people are. I know that you know most people in the industry are wearing a mask and, and committing to social distancing, but there's a lot of people who you know thumb their nose at it just like everybody else. I mean, it, it, so. I just don't think you can risk having Hollywood invade your small town uh, and all your schools in particular. It just, it just doesn't seem like a good idea. Like take the year off. I don't understand Hollywood's like resistance to take the year off. And I, and I, you know, okay. So it's time. We're going to talk about Telluride, but it also bleeds into this other movie, uh, which of course is Tenet. 
Time for Tenet Watch. Analysts say that Tenet is unlikely to be released in August. It's more likely to uh, arrive in September. I mean, and we also learned this week that the movie is 149 minutes. That was the big news piece this week about Tenet. 149 minutes. All right. Now, let me tell you where this thing connects, okay? If you read Variety's interview with the uh, director of Telluride, she talks about how she was, and I believe it's uh, Julie Huntsinger. Um, I should double check that. But anyways, the, the Telluride director said that she was surprised how, or and, and you know, they felt they were very lucky that the movies just coincidentally had very short running times, and that that is why things were going to be fine because the people, the audiences, weren't going to have to be with each other for too long. You know, these are short films. Shorter films. These weren't 149-minute opuses like 10. Well, first of all, what is the difference between a fucking sitting in the theater for 88 minutes or sitting in a theater for 112 minutes? Like, really, what is the fucking difference? Or, uh, like, there is no difference. Hollywood is in complete fucking denial about this. And I get it. They're trying to soldier on. They're trying to put on a brave face. The show must go on. I love, I've always loved that about Hollywood spirit, okay? And they're right, you know, about this feeling that America does need entertainment more than ever. But Universal and Sony knew what was up right away, okay? They pushed all their fucking tentpoles to the following summer. Warner Brothers, it still hasn't sunk in. And maybe they're just so, you know, Chris Nolan has them so bent over and petrified. But, like, I don't understand why Warner Brothers has not just made a fucking decision to bump this film to next year. I mean, Paramount, you, like, look at Paramount selling itself off in pieces. Um, and so Warner Brothers, I, I just don't understand they're kind of like the U.S. government, where they're just, like, doing these things in, in these increments, these two-week increments. I mean, I've heard it could be two or three years before things go back to normal, but if you tell people it's going to be two or three years before things go back to normal, there's going to be riots in the streets, and there's going to be panic, you know? Um, and maybe they'll, they'll overthrow the government. And so I've heard that that's the plan. It's just over the next two or three years, just two-week and one-month delays of everything. You know, and, and that's how you have to play. You have to play it by, day by day, for Christ's sake. That's how quickly these things are changing. Now, I read, uh, I think it was Jason Guarasio talking about how Warner Brothers could implement an unusual rollout for Tenet. And yeah, you know, people are wary of spoilers and all that stuff, but they could just choose to roll it out overseas. And they could just choose to release it in America. And, you know, it, it's up to cities if they're going to be open or not. I mean, it, like, I, I do wonder if Warner Brothers at this point is just saying, you know what, we can't wait for New York and LA. If, you know, this, if we want to entertain America, it's not just about those two places. If we can make people in 48 states and all over the world happy by putting this movie out, even though I think it's fucking crazy and completely irresponsible and insane of both Warner Brothers and Christopher Nolan to be insisting upon this, um, if that is the case, then yeah, you know, then, then I'm sorry, New York and Los Angeles, for once, you guys get fucked. Um, that, that could happen. I don't think it's going to happen. I think that Warner Brothers is ultimately going to come to its senses. I think that Chris Nolan is ultimately going to come to his senses because it's just not fair to him 
and the film's publicity team and just like having to do this whole fucking song and dance every two weeks or every month, whatever, you know, however long the delay is for the unforeseeable future. Just fucking push this thing, please. Um, so that's how it connected to, te- to, to the Telluride announcement, though, because Tenet is 149 minutes. So now, with that movie, it's like if you use the logic, if, you, if you're using that in your argument that, well, all these movies have short running times, so it wasn't as big a deal, then what about the movies that do have super long running times, like Tenet, two and a half hours, plus probably a half hour of fucking trailers and credits and God knows what else, and see, here are the safety precautions, and here's this and that. You're there for fucking three hours, at least. So, I'm telling you, the whole industry is just in denial. Um, it's, in, it's in denial about exhibition. It's in denial about production. And that's why Focus is smart to acquire a finished film like uh, Card Counter. I mean, you know, they just wrapped. You know, they were able to go back to Mississippi, to Biloxi, Mississippi and finish their, uh, their, you know, the remainder of their five days of shooting. Um, but, uh, you know, so they, they still need to do post-production, but it is a, t- a, high, a high profile title. Oscar Isaac, Tiffany Haddish, Willem Dafoe, Ty Sheridan from Paul Schrader. Focus gets its hands on it and doesn't need to, you know, ramp up production or anything. It's a, a smart play for that studio. Um, I saw some quotes from Vivica Fox this week that Zendaya, I think I called her Zendaya last week. I've always called her Zendaya. I think it's probably Zendaya. Uh, she would be amazing as the daughter in Kill Bill 3, as Vivica Fox's daughter out for revenge, cosign. Totally in, in for that. Um, that would be really cool. I don't know that Quentin would go for that. I could also see Quentin going for that just because it's a loophole and it would allow him to, you know, tell a, another part of this Kill Bill story without having to call it a new movie because it's a continuation. So he gets away with the whole, I'm still going to retire after 10 movies thing. Um, I, I feel like the Kill Bill story was kind of, you know, told, but that is a clever way back into it. And I really do like that casting. So, so nice job by Vivica Fox. I did release my top 10 Charlize uh, list. Finally, I think, you know, I, I told you guys um, that I ended up going with monster over Fury Road. I just feel like that, you know, the Oscar, that's the, the mic drop. You can't really argue with the Oscar. I also got, uh, you know, both the Jason Reitman movies on there, young adult Tully, um, long shot was on there. Like I, I like Charlize in that comedic mode. I took, you know, she, her, her Oscar nominated performances in North country and uh, bombshell. I had to go for in the Valley of Vila. I'm a big Paul Haggis fan. I even like that next, the next three days with uh, Russell Crowe. It's not terrible. Um, but I, I really have a lot of respect for in the Valley of Vila. And even though most of that is, is, you know, because of Tommy Lee Jones, you got to give uh, Charlize her due. Um, uh, I think we had a piece this week. I don't know who it was from. I think it may have been from Ali, from, uh, Ali Jamel, um, who wrote about Clueless at 25. Clueless is awesome. Fucking love Clueless. Uh, just so quotable. So many great lines. Lisa Silverstone, she was like my number one middle school crush. I think I was 11 when that movie came out. Um, yeah, like it just looked like it made Beverly, Beverly Hills seem so cool, even though, you know, what the hell did I know? Like, it, like, I guess having grown up, I don't think I would have wanted to go to that high school, but back then I was like, wow, is this what I have to look forward to? Hell yeah. So yeah. If you've never seen Clueless, make time for it this week. It's 25 years from Amy Heckerling, you know, uh, 
it was a huge hit. I wonder if it was like the highest grossing female directed film of all time when it came out. I should look that up. Um, Bill Pope, the DP, talked about, you know, working with the Wachowskis on the Matrix sequels, said it was like a nightmare or whatever. I mean, these again, this is the kind of story where I, I just don't think I would pick that up as an editor-in-chief. I just, you know, it just doesn't seem fair. I mean, it's a good quote and all, but like, you know, I don't know if we reached out to the Wachowskis or not to comment on it. I, you know, I feel like you kind of owe them that opportunity. I, I guess, you know, Bill Pope's just speaking his truth and, and he, I don't think he's worked with the Wachowskis since then. Um, I thought he, the movies look fucking great, like visually that you can't argue with him. He did a great job and so did them. It was just on a story level. So if, you, if you're Bill Pope, it's like, do you really want to look back on those movies? Maybe as negative experiences, but they seemed successful ones, at least in terms of his craft, you know? It's not like that, you know, they made his work look bad or something. It was just, you know, the, the stories were not fully baked there, I think, on those Matrix sequels. There was a lot of excess, and, and they probably could have used, you know, a better editor. But that's not fucking Bill Pope's fault. But whatever, you know, hey, he got to speak his truth. Everybody's speaking their truth these days. Truth, 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 truth. Uh, the truth the truth sounds like Peacock is a fucking disaster. Um, sounds like it's even worse than Quibi, because... Well, first of all, it has the same um, problems that HBO Max is having, where it's not available on, on Roku or Amazon devices. Like, these are things that you've had a long time to hammer out, this negotiation. I don't understand letting it come down to the last minute or even bleed into... Like, like if you're going to fucking start charging people on day one, you know, like, Quibi had a three-month free trial or whatever, but if you're going to start charging people on day one, you got to have the goods on, on day one. And don't tell me it's Brave New World. Because I have no fucking interest in that show whatsoever. And Quibi at least had, you know, the most dangerous game and, and Free Rayshon and The Stranger, those shows that I talked about. Um, but, but really the most dangerous game was like their big hook. That was, you know, we've got Liam Neeson, two-time Oscar winner, Christoph Waltz. You know, Peacock, you're not, you're not winning me over with Brave New World uh, starring the guy nobody really liked in Solo and fucking a David Schwimmer and talent, like British show. Like, it's just, I needed more. I, I need more. And, and, and so I don't know if we have free Peacock because we're fucking Comcast Xfinity subscribers or if I need to download this thing. I think it's going to be like HBO Max, though, where I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait two or three weeks, let Peacock get its shit together, see if it, you know, it becomes available on these different platforms and things like that, and see, you know, if there's any second wave content because sometimes these executives these places they don't even know what the fuck they have they don't even know what they're sitting on so they lead with the wrong foot um but ultimately it's the audiences that decides and critics who, who tip people off to that kind of stuff and even though i'm not on twitter you know i, I still check in from time to time to see what people are talking about it, it, the peacock reception has not gone over well but plenty of time to change things you know how, how different did the uh, netflix uh, you know how, how different was that company in its early days so I get that you can't issue a final report card yet, but at the same time, you know, my money now is the same as the money a year from now. If you're going to charge, you, you got to deliver the goods and it doesn't sound like they have them. Um, UTA signed the WGA deal this, uh, this week. That was a, a big kind of thing. Um, I, I found that out before anybody else, or at least before it was reported, I'll put it that way. 
Uh, I know UTA was already sort of privately issuing some denials uh, to, to folks like Richard Rushfield, but yeah, I, I always trusted my source on that one. I, I tried uh, letting some, some folks know nobody wanted to be able to believe it. And then at one thirty-two in the morning, all the trades uh, broke in with UTA in talks. And by the next morning it was fucking closed. So it's just like, you can't always believe what an agency spokesperson is telling you. Um, again, this is where you got to have reporters and, and the trades think that they can get away not having real reporters who have sources. Um, one trade in particular. So, that, you know, it, it, that will always come back to bite in the ass, unfortunately. Um, Kevin Connolly getting in trouble this week. And, and, and you know, He's, he's arguing that it was a consensual encounter. This is a, another Me Too thing. Um, didn't, didn't sound good for Kevin Connolly. Sounded pretty believable. This woman was very forthright with a, a lot of people that night and, and the following day. Uh, all I would say, and I'm not trying to defend Kevin Connolly. Uh, again, I'm not there. It's a, it's a he said, she said kind of thing. He said it, it's consensual. Clearly should have known better. You know, this was someone who was working for him and even though it was the rat party and she was done working for him you know in in that context he's still the director and, and has a certain power over her all i would say is that don't be that person who's like well you know he was a douchebag on entourage or you know he hangs out with the pussy posse leonardo dicaprio and lucas haas and so thus he must be guilty that's all i would say you know if you're gonna think he's guilty it's fine and, and, and he, he probably is you know um or, or guilty of something uh, not being a good guy. I mean, that's the thing. I don't, I don't drink and, and I'm not going to get on my fucking high horse here or whatever, but like, I don't drink. And so I, I don't really like going after, like, I, I'm not good in bars. I can't pick up drunk women. I, I never understood that. Uh, and I want to be with someone who wants to be with me, who wants to make that choice and say, yeah, I want to go home with that guy or something. So the idea of, you know, hitting on drunk, drunk women, taking advantage of them, it, it's kind of, I think it's totally fucked up and, and creepy. And again, if that is what happened here, that, that's a terrible thing. Just don't say, yeah, Kevin definitely did it because he was on Entourage or because he hangs out with a certain person because that I can't get behind. Um, God, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of turmoil this week. Barry Weiss resigned from the New York Times and uh, Andrew Sullivan stepped down from, from New York Magazine. They could very well be starting their own thing. I think that they both have an announcement planned for Friday. Um, Barry Weiss, regardless of what you think of her, I think made some intelligent points in, in her in her letter. Um, you know, having been the, the victim of so-called cancel culture at one point, maybe it wasn't as venomous then as it was now, but it's certainly, you know, it's one thing when you cancel a celebrity who has millions of dollars to fall back on and a team of people to support them. But, you know, I, I was just a guy making fucking 75 grand or something immeasurable, like, you know, to, to, to take away that, that and health insurance. It was just like... It, it, it fucked me up good, man. And, um, and, and again, Twitter is just Twitter. It, it's like they demand certain answers on a set of opinions. And, and even though I, I rarely disagree with those opinions entirely, you know, I, I'm more of a, 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 a gray guy living in a black and white world. And so when your, your answers or opinions have certain nuance to them and don't you know, fall perfectly into those Twitter boxes, uh, you can either fight the, the Twitter mobs every day, as I was used to doing, um, or you can just, you know, recuse yourself from the conversation. And, you know, I'm on 
like I said, I, I haven't tweeted in, in a couple weeks now or since July 4th. So I guess it's been 12 days. It hasn't even been a couple weeks. It seems like forever. And there's things I want to share with you guys. Like, you know, I wanted to talk about that Nick Bilton book and, and tweeted him and be like, first of all, congratulate him on a fucking hell of a job. Uh, but share a recommendation like that to everybody rather than just Facebook friends or the people listening to this podcast. Uh, so in that sense, it's frustrating, you know, like even with that UTA WGA story, like I know that's a story that, that Clyder doesn't want. And so I, you know, fortunately Frosty has empowered me to contact other reporters with that information, maybe make some kind of horse trade, get a favor down the line. That's honest to God how it fucking works. Um, but in that case, you know, I, I may have just tweeted it because that was big news and, and something I probably couldn't have confirmed. Um, but I don't have Twitter. And so that took away that option. And then Richard Rushfield weighed in on, on, on Twitter incorrectly as approved. But, uh, you know, he has that avenue. And so I do miss that avenue. But I also think it's just I have too much to lose at this point to, to potentially say the wrong thing, you know. Um, and I think it's – I may say the wrong thing here on this podcast and, and you know, I, I want to be held accountable, but at the same time, this podcast at least gives me the opportunity to explain myself beyond a 140 character tweet. Uh, we only have a few um, things left and, you know, like that goes for this Tiger Woods issue. Like, uh, I, you know, I don't want to get too into it, but it's like people are coming down on, on this Tiger Woods HBO documentary because it's from a bunch of, of white people. And that may be so. Uh, and, and they felt strongly that, that you know, an African-American filmmaker or a, you know, Asian-American filmmaker, you know, because Tiger's biracial, that, that they should have some hand in the storytelling. But again, it's like, this is from Alex Gibney and Matthew Heineman. Like, these are two of the best documentarians working today. You know, Heineman went into fucking Mexico and shot cartel land. You wouldn't say, well, this movie is only valid because it's from a Mexican director or something. Like, that was an important story that he told Heinemann. Um, and, you know, the guy's talented. And, like, that that's just what I respect above all. I understand the complaints from people and, and why Heinemann felt like he had to respond to them, him and the other Matthew, who's going to be co-directing this, this two-part thing. But uh, I, I just think it's a dangerous thing when you're saying, you know, white people can only tell white stories or, or, you know, black people can only tell black stories, you know, whatever it is. I think that's a dangerous thing, and that's just, you know, a personal principle of, of mine. Um, I would also recommend reading Oliver Stone's New York Times interview. I thought that was a really good read um, this week. What else? I've been watching We Hunt Together, which is a, a – I don't know if it's an Australian show or a BBC show that they – I think maybe a BBC that uh, Showtime picked up. They're going to be airing that next month. Uh, so I, I've been enjoying that. Although I think I'm under embargo, so I can't say more. I've also been watching the Indian crime series Breathe Into the Shadows on Amazon. Uh, my pal Shipper Gupta, the publicist on that, turned, she turned me on to that. said she thought I would like it, and she was right. I'm into it. Check that out on Amazon if you like foreign uh, true, uh, crime series and stuff. We found out Devil All the Time is going to be coming in September. That's the Antonio Campos movie with Sebastian Stan, Tom Holland, Robert Pattinson, a huge, uh, awesome cast. Uh, Mia Wasikowska and stuff, so pumped for that. That's another big, high-profile Netflix movie that we're going to be getting soon. Um, trailers this week. There was Project Power. Looked, a, I like the premise of that, and the cast is cool, but it looked a little much. It looked a little like, whoa. Um, this I could see that, that being good or absolutely terrible. Tesla, which is one of these like trailers where I'm not sure if, if it's legit or not. Like, 
it had this cool techno music and lighting to it, but is that what the movie's like, or is that just the trailer sort of gussying it up? Feels Good Man, this really cool documentary about Pepe the Frog and the way that hit that image, that cartoon was co-opted by white supremacists and, and the creator of Pepe the Frog trying to get that back. Fear City, New York vs. the Mafia, this new Netflix docuseries about uh, you know the people who stood up to the mob and, and bringing down the mob in, in, in New York City. That sounds super cool. I'm going to watch that with Dad. Radioactive, the Amazon movie with uh, Rosamund Pike as Marie Curie. That looks uh, pretty interesting. And then Random Acts of Violence, which has a shocking image in it. I think that was that must have been a red band trailer as well. That's uh, from Jay Baruchel, and that's you know that's the kind of genre movie I'm looking forward to. Also in the uh, the Shadow of Violence, that was another trailer that came out this week that looked good. Um, we said goodbye to uh, to Naya Rivera. Unfortunately, um, her her body was discovered off uh, Lake Peru, I believe. She was only 33. A terrible tragedy. Uh, again, n- no easy answers in that one. She was swimming with her son. He got back on the boat, and she never did. Um, horrible, horrible. Grant Imahara was 49. He was the Mythbusters host. I think he had a brain aneurysm. Terrible. I mean, I, I would never know if it, like that's the way I want to go, just like quick and painless, like boom, you're gone. Or if that's even worse because you didn't get to say goodbye to anybody, um, you know, get your affairs in order. It's just, just horrible. And then obviously Kelly Preston, who had been fighting a, a very quiet, uh, Battle, a two-year battle with breast cancer in secret. She died at 57. This is the wife of John Travolta. She was also uh, excellent uh, standing up to Tom Cruise in Jerry Maguire. Um, you know, really liked Kelly Preston and, and by all accounts, a real sweetheart um, from, you know, those who knew her. I saw a lot of Facebook tributes and stuff like that towards her. Uh, so, you know, all, all three of them will be missed. Um there was a Ted Lasso trailer. That, that could be funny. I like Jason Sudeikis. I like the idea of a soccer show. I haven't really seen anything like that. Uh, I miss playing soccer. I, I played all through high school. I played defense. I was just the fullback who they asked to uh, injure people on the field. Um, and then we just, you know, I guess we'll close the show with a couple of uh, mailbag questions. I, I only had one person writing in, so, so thanks, buddy. Uh, do you think Disney will change the theater date for the 10th time for New Mutants or just release it on Disney Plus? It's part of Comic-Con. They just released a new teaser. I haven't even had a chance to watch it yet. Um, I don't know what the theater date is. I think it's all going to depend on, on theaters, to be frank. I, again, my understanding, and this was something I reported a long time ago, and maybe it's changed since then, but that all the talent and Josh Boone on that movie had, it was for theatrical and they would have to redo all those contracts for it to have a streaming debut. That was my understanding at the time. That's all. Um, And then the other element or the other question he had was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles has another movie in development. I firmly believe if you're going to keep remaking movies, you need to do something different. Do I think Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles could succeed as an R rated action movie more in line with something in the tone of the rape. First of all, that's fascinating. And I think that would be super cool. Like I would totally watch that. And I'm sure a bunch of other people would too. Is that why you, you acquired Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Probably not. Like that is a, a kids franchise through and through. I can't see them turning it into an R rated thing. Could I see them turning into a PG 13 action movie uh that's a little bit grittier yeah i could see that that might be the way to go with it but r-rated maybe one step too far for a children's franchise uh anyways guys that'll do it for the snyder cut this week thank you so much for watching i really appreciate it 
Um, well, again, let me know about this shirt. This is the most hideous shirt you've ever seen me wear on the show. Let me know, and I will be delighted to share that with my father, just to make a point. You can find me on Instagram and Cameo at The Insider. Order a Cameo. I've got a great tan. I mean, look at the, the personal video that you could get with this. The hair is growing in great. Uh, again, have a wonderful weekend, everybody. I'll, even though I know it's only Thursday, and I'll see you next time on The Snyder Cut. This holiday season, it's all about the bedroom. And Casper's Black Friday sale has up to 30% off everything you need to make your bedroom your happy place. Only Casper mattresses are made with 86 supportive gel pods to align your spine and eliminate aches and pains. And Casper bed frames are made from the highest quality materials. Give the gift of a better bedroom. Save up to 30% during Casper's Black Friday sale on now at Casper.com. Terms and conditions apply. See Casper.com slash terms for more details. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switched to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.